are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. I'm your new Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And today, We'll be talking to David Locke of Locked On Jazz. The Jazz are riding a seven-game win streak, the longest win streak in the NBA, with the number one offense in the entire NBA. John Corrales of Locked On Celtics, with the Celtics on a three-game slide to try and figure out exactly what's going on in Boston. And lastly, Tony East of Locked On Pacers, as the Pacers are headed for a quote-unquote rebuild, whether that's the right decision and who may or may not be on the way out. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions that you don't want or need, and can even negotiate better deals on those that you want to keep. Be sure to check out our friends over at Truebill. Now, we do thank you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is, of course, our fearless leader, David Locke, host of the Locked On Jazz podcast. David, this Utah Jazz team is now the owner of the longest win streak in the NBA, courtesy of the Milwaukee Bucks, who banished the Houston Rockets back to the land of tankathon simulations and dreaming and hoping for Paolo Bencaro and Chet Holmgren. How does it feel? Uh, well, they've also got the best differential in the NBA at this point. They surpassed the Golden State Warriors last night, so that's probably the more important thing. Um, this is a good basketball team and they did not come out of the shoot particularly well to start the year, but right now they're clicking at a pretty high level. Rudy Gay didn't join this jazz team until midway through November after recovering from offseason surgery on his heel. He's got 12 games under his belt now, and the jazz are 10 and two in that stretch, including this recent seven game win streak. How big has he been for this jazz team? It's just another piece. I mean, it's just an, you know, Eric Pascal was playing who really is not a good shooter. And so for the, in those circumstances, they actually didn't have four shooters on the floor, but now they have four shooters at all times. Um, the interesting one, too, by the way, the two losses are both really bizarre. I don't want to get into it, but the two losses in the Rudy A stretch are both cases where the Jazz had won games. Clays went to review. They won the review. It opened the door up for the other team to actually have another chance, and the other team hit a three to win it. So I know. Uh, kind of one against Memphis, one against New Orleans. Jazz didn't play particularly well in those games, but they very easily could have won 13 straight at this point. I was about to say, and those two losses coming, you know, very, very close margins there. Obviously, like you said, with the with the weird situations occurring in them. And was was there anything that happened in, in either of those losses that were just kind of like a moment, like maybe a wake up call for this Jazz team, where hey, we need to we need to be a little bit better. We're a better team than this. Uh, the New Orleans loss was not great. I mean, New Orleans is not very good, and and the Jazz, I think, got. Uh, they, you know, they got bit, they, they tried the easy route and I think they got bit. So, but Quinn Snyder teams over the years have always developed as the year has gone on. Um, that's always been the signature. And I think even at this level, we're seeing that as well. They were okay. And right now they're dominant. I mean, they've won, uh, what is it? Seven in a row and five of the seven by 20 or more. You just don't win NBA games by 20 points. That's just not a common thing. Um, and they went on this least most recent trip, uh, with the number one offense in the NBA. And the idea was that they were about to go play the best defenses in the NBA in Boston and Cleveland and Minnesota. And it was going to be a question of whether the offense could hold up and the offense throttled these teams. 
And now the offense is so much better than anyone else in the league. It's actually historic. Um, according to cleaning the glass, the Jazz are 119.0. The next closest is Charlotte at 113.6. No team in the history of the years in which cleaning the glass has kept data has ever been this far above average. This is one of the great offensive teams of all time. I will say Donovan Mitchell has been superb during this recent seven game stretch. He's averaging just, just under 30 a game on 55, 45, 92 shooting splits. He's, he's shooting almost 10 threes a game and hitting them at a 45% clip. That's just unreal. Is, is he taking another leap this season in your eyes, David? He is. And it makes, I'm not surprised by it. I've actually held an extensive conversation with Donovan about how I really anticipated that this would be what he did this year was would take this leap. And this would be the natural step we're seeing. It, it took him a little while to get going. What, what's interesting is the jazz are shooting particularly well from two. So they take the most threes in the NBA. You're so stretched out. Rudy Gobert is rolling to the rim. And then Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley have just the, the entire world to work in the middle of the floor and Jordan Clarkson one-on-one because you're not leaving the shooters. You're not leaving Rudy. And so those guys are also hitting all their twos. The jazz are the best shooting team in the league in the, in the paint non-restricted area, which is, you know, it's not great. You don't want a lot of shots there, but the Jazz take the most threes in the league, so they, they're not falling in love with that, but when they have to go to it, they're very good at it. Sticking with Donovan Mitchell here for a moment, you, you, you said you kind of envision him taking this leap. Is it because of the way that the Jazz are playing and you're talking about the spacing and just their overall systematic approach to their offense, or is it some individual just, I mean, is it just the raw talent from Donovan Mitchell kind of showing itself now, kind of hitting another gear that he hasn't hit before? Actually, if you look at Dame Lillard and Bradley Beal's careers, it's a very natural next step. Um, he's not entirely doing it, so... He took the jump from seven to nine threes. Now he's taking the jump from nine close to 10. And then he went from four and a half free throws to six. And the he hasn't held the free throw numbers um, because the league changed the rules. But if he had held that number of free throws, then he very naturally becomes a 30-point game scorer. And it's exactly the, the path that Lillard and Beal were on along the way. But Donovan's having his best shooting year. I mean, if you just look at his effective field goal percentage, over the last years, 49 to 51 to 52 and now to 54. Year in, year out, we've, we've talked a little bit about the, the Jazz offense, which is historic this season. It's, it's highly potent. But year in, year out, the Jazz are also one of the top defensive teams in the league. And at the heart of that defense is none other than Rudy Gobert. A few days ago, Minnesota Timberwolves' Anthony Edwards took a shot at Gobert, saying that Gobert didn't scare him or, or anyone else. And that Kristaps Porzingis was a better rim protector what do you david what do you think of these comments from anthony edwards and take a moment well if you need to stifling your laughter to explain the impact that rudy gobert has on this game from a defensive standpoint well the first thing is i would hope for patrick beverly and anthony edwards that they can break their five game losing streak against portland because winning actually matters um the jazz have the best winning percentage in the nba since 2016-17 like, that's it. Like, that's all you need to know. There's only been one constant. There's two constants. Three. I'll give Joe Ingles some credit, but I don't think he's that important. Quinn Snyder, Rudy Gobert. Otherwise, that's it. Joe Ingles has been on the team every year. Otherwise, 2016-17, best record in the NBA. Like, at some point, you got to decide the guy's pretty good if he's the one constant on the team that has the best record in the league. Defensively, he's amazing. Every team in the league's trying to move him out of the way, attack where he's not. That's the whole concept. He's recently contesting 21 shots a game. If you start to think about that, he's not on the floor for all 86 shots, so he's actually on the floor for about 60 shots a game by the opponent. He's contesting 21. He's contesting 33% of the opponent's shots 
teams shoot, I think, uh, 14 percentage points below league average when he's the closest defender. Like, it's the impact's massive. There are, David, right now, three, like, clear-cut top three teams in the Western Conference, and it's the Suns, the Warriors, and the Jazz. They're all, like, a cut above the rest of the Western Conference right now. The Suns are fresh off of a finals run. The Warriors are well, the Warriors, and, and they look quite lethal this season. Um, the new and improved Warriors, if you will, and they don't even have Clay Thompson back just yet. Do the Jazz deserve to be mentioned in the same tier as those two teams and you know if they if they do or are they or are they just kind of are they in their own little spot just below those two teams but still above the rest of the western conference well their differentials better than those two teams so i think they probably deserve to be mentioned in that group and they had the best regular season record last year and they ran into the clippers which was a matchup that you know was unfortunate for them um so i think they deserve to be in there i think that's what's interesting is that there's almost no scenario where those aren't the top three seeds in the west where 25 games into the season we already know those are one two three in what order we don't know but i don't think there's a fourth seed to come get them now once the playoffs start if Kawhi leonard's healthy and the clippers are the fourth seed then they're a real force and that one seed becomes you know something you probably don't want um but those are the teams right now um and then over on the east what's really interesting is i I'm, i have some doubts on brooklyn right now they haven't really beat any other of the good teams and milwaukee is 11 and 1 when healthy so what seemed like a season of about 11 or 12 title contenders is getting very thin, very fast. David, I want you to take a moment right now. Who's, who's a guy that maybe you want to give some credit to for the, the pr- productiveness of this jazz team. That's maybe not getting an, a proper amount of fanfare just as we're on the way out here. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting question. I'm not like, I, I never know what the proper amount of fanfare is. It is probably worth noting that Mike Conley, I think I'd have to check after last night leads the NBA in three point shooting with players. who've taken at least four a game at 46%. Um, his effective field goal percentage right now is at 63%. I'm not sure these numbers are sustainable. Um, Mike Conley at 34 years old is having the best season of his career. All right. Well, David, you're going to have everyone covered for all things Utah Jazz over at the Locked On Jazz podcast. Appreciate you coming on Locked On NBA with me. My pleasure, Jackson. Hope you enjoy being the new lead dog on Mondays. Yes, sir. I appreciate the opportunity. Coming up, we chat with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics to try and figure out exactly what is going on in Boston. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Direct TV. Because look, does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone. You've got your neighbor's best friends login for all the other good stuff that you're missing out on, right? Well, let me tell you about a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love without the hassle. A great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no more need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there's no annual contract, so get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That is directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, where we thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen of the day. Joining us now is John Corrales, host of Locked On Celtics and Locked On NBA Wednesdays. John, the Celtics are on a three-game slide, and uh, that includes a loss against the Paul George-less LA Clippers. Celtics are currently 13-14 and on the season. Look, on paper... 
this looks like a really, really talented team that should be vying for one of the top spots in the Eastern Conference. We're going to get into the specifics, but just give me an elevator pitch on what's happening right now with this team. I, I literally just wrapped up my Monday Locked On Celtics, where I compare what the Celtics are doing to someone making the resolution to lose weight on New Year's. And Ime is challenging the Celtics to break bad habits, challenging Jason Tatum to be less of an ISO guy, more of a, of a passer, uh, a creator for other people. He's challenging them to, to embrace certain defensive principles. And so they're all breaking bad habits. And so what the Celtics this past road trip felt like to me was uh, uh, at the end of January, when people have gone on their diets, they've completely thrown out all of the chips and stuff and they've been eating salads and everything, and they go into the gym, and they've lost five pounds. They're like, great, I've earned this you know, bag of chips. I've earned this beer. I've earned this pizza. And they go right back into their bad habits, and next thing you know, they've erased all of the progress that they made. So that's where the Celtics are. And the question with the Celtics now is, can they get back to the work, the hard work that they don't like, because nobody likes kale, but they try to eat it to try and lose weight. Um, the Celtics are, he's basically, Ime Udoka is feeding the Celtics kale and he wants them to like it and they don't. And can they learn to like the things that are better for them or are they just going to stay in these bad habits? Whichever direction they go is going to be determining the future of this franchise. But that this is what they're in the middle of right now. So in the middle of all of this, I mean, one, I, I commend you on the metaphor. I think that's incredible. That might be one of the best metaphors I've ever heard in a podcast you know, production standpoint. So great job. Kudos there. I, I, I'm wondering though, just from, we'll go back to the basketball standpoint for just a moment. I mean, has it, can you point to any one specific issue though? Is, is it, you know, it, has it been some of the lineup yeah. inconsistency that they face? Are there individual performers not stand, you know, playing up to the level that they should be? Has it been some of the coaching? I know you you use the, um, again, the metaphor talking about what Ime Odoka is trying to do with this team. Could yeah. he maybe be doing things in a better way or a slightly different way to achieve better results right now? Yeah. Or is he kind of working more of a long-term program? It fe it feels like, I mean, there's plenty of blame to go around, right? So when they, when they go back to the old bad habits that I was talking about, it's a lot more isolation and less ball movement. It's it's lapses defensively. Uh, so what have we seen over the course of this road trip? We saw defensively Robert Williams, who was, you know, he, he's super important on the back line, kind of getting the defense organized and, and calling things out. And, and all of a sudden, this, the past few games or basically throughout this road trip, He's doing a lot of, you know, block chasing and he's, he's helping off of guys. He doesn't need to help off of, and he's chasing and leaving guys to get offensive rebounds. And we've seen a ton of putbacks that have really hurt the Celtics. They've, they've actually gone through stretches where they play good defense. And then the other team gets a putback and it's demoralizing on the offensive side. It is a lot of isolation. It is a lot less passing getting Jalen Brown back. And he is healthy now, finally, after missing the entire road trip with a recurrence of that right hamstring. He's going to help fix some things. First of all, obviously, he's an all-star. Uh, the defense is much better with him on the floor. It also pushes Dennis Schroeder back to the bench. And I think Marcus Smart, as the starting point guard, is just a lot just a lot better. The one stat that I'll give you is, in the last two games, he's taken 10 three-pointers. He's one for 10. The nine that he missed, or actually, yeah, nine that he missed, they're above the break. He's terrible above the break. 
when he's the starting point guard, he's a 50% three-point shooter from the corners, and he takes a much more balanced – it's still like about 60-40 above the break to corner threes, but when he's a starting point guard, he ends up kind of shifting into the corners and getting a lot of those catch-and-shoot opportunities. So Jalen coming back puts Marcus Smart in a better position, puts Schroeder in a better position, gives the Celtics bench a, a scoring uh, threat – intruder so he fixes a lot of things the lineups with the injuries have really been problematic this is a team that is you know flirting with being a top 10 defense and that matches the eye test they've got a lot of really solid individual defenders on this team and so collectively the team defense identity should be there you talked a little bit about the offense, you know, some of the, the heavy isolation. They're coming in at just 20th in offensive efficiency. Is there anything, I mean, is it just, are you seeing like these players just kind of individually going one-on-one? Is there something that's systematically wrong with the Celtics offense at this point in your eyes, John? I think, no, I think systematically they're trying to be more, uh, like Ime Udoka wants them to be more like the Spurs teams that he coached back when they won a championship that's like the beautiful basketball, right? He wants that. He wants everybody to be unselfish. Everyone to trust their teammates, move the ball, move yourself, cut and all that stuff. Again, going back to my original point, that's not who these guys are fundamentally at their core. Jason Tatum is not a cutter. He's not necessarily a great passer. He'll make the right pass, uh, but he's looking to score. The, the fundamental flaw in this offense is that it takes a lot of hard work for these guys to do it right. And it's still, it's still hard work. So I think at its worst, there's a lot more isolation. There's a lot more quick shots. Um, there's, there's not any cutting at all. Um, and that's, that's, I think one of the biggest problems with the Celtics offense, but we have seen like over the course of the road trip during that road trip, they were the fifth best offense in the NBA, which is weird. Um, but they were one in four. And I think that tells you they're not going to beat teams with their offense. So when we talk about their offense, it doesn't have to be great. It has to be good enough. And it's their defense that's going to win them the games. And that's where they should be focused. And on this trip, their defense was fourth worst in the NBA. That's why they had that huge slip. So that's where they got to get back to. It's the defense. And then on offense, just move the ball. Um, run off of their steals, run off of opponent misses, run off of their makes, push, 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 push. Uh, and, and that will help them get their offense on track. Right now, is there, again, I guess, is there a fix that is needed here for the Celtics team? And, and if, if there is a fix that's needed, what size of a fix are we talking about here? Is it, is it simply just like maybe a, a change up to the lineup? Is there a, are they missing a piece, like a deadline trade deal type thing? Or is this something that, could grow into something much larger where this team needs an off-season makeover? Well, the answer to that, I think, is something that they're figuring out over the course of the season. And I will go back to my initial my initial point. If they can't be the, the, the players that break those habits, then the fix is taking all of their available pieces, Marcus Smart, you know, maybe Al Horford, all of their picks, everything on the table except for Jalen and Jason, and trying to get that third star somehow, whoever it is, whatever, however it shakes out. But if they, you know, look, it starts right now with Jalen Brown coming back in. And if Jalen can stay healthy, then we'll see if that can grow into a little bit more of a cohesive group. If they can break those habits, if they can become the team 
that is just flowing. And Tatum is more of a, a an MVP candidate, a first team all NBA guy versus a borderline third team all NBA guy. Now you don't have to package every piece. You get to keep those draft picks. You get to make smaller moves. And then maybe you do call the Indiana Pacers and say, hey, what can we do? Maybe your next move is a Malcolm Brogdon versus everybody for that third star, much like Milwaukee with the Drew Holiday move, where it was a, a good third piece that made sense and fit versus putting everything in and getting a, or, or going for like a Bradley Beal. That, that, that's where they are. And it's going to take, I think, most of the season to figure out which one of these the Celtics really are. We are a quarter of the way through the season, John. Give me give me your sil a silver lining that you have for this team right now moving forward. The silver lining is that you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and that they seem committed to figuring this out and they seem committed to working better off of each other. That's That's another huge step here. If Tatum and Brown can figure out how to play off of each other, set picks for each other off the ball, work off the same side of the floor sometimes, set pick and roll for each other, work with each other on the offense more than make it somebody's in the corner occupying space. And some of this is the makeup of the team, right? You want to space the floor and Jalen's in the corner and he's the only guy that they're going to hold, who's going to hold the corner. The silver lining is that those guys are young. They're 25 and 23 and there is time for these guys to figure this out. Um, and they do have pieces to kind of go either route, but I, I still remain optimistic because I like that they the, the coach is very clearly, like he has a clear message and they do listen. Even though they had this bad stretch, they do listen. You can see it in the course of the game that they do respond. So hopefully for the Celtics to, to be positive and optimistic, they can really find some way to click. They can develop those better habits. They can listen to him and, and do more of what he's trying to say more often. And then we'll start to see you get that defense up to that top five. Again, you're going to start winning some games just because you're stopping the other team. You're going to have us all covered for everything Celtics over at locked on Celtics. John appreciate you stopping by for locked on NBA with me. Uh, always a pleasure, my man. Anytime you want me. And coming up, we dive into everything going on with the Indiana Pacers, Rick Carlisle, the rebuild, all of that. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar, because Built Bar is the number one best tasting protein bar on the market. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, even better than a candy bar, honestly. Built Bar, filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in delicious, amazing chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, high in protein. Again, it's a candy bar that is jam-packed with protein. So good. So many flavors to choose from. Raspberry, mint chocolate brownie, double chocolate, cookies and cream, my personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk. Can't go wrong with a single flavor on their menu. And you can check them all out. All of their products get 15% off everything in their entire catalog at built.com when you use promo code LOCK15. Again, get 15% off everything site-wide. Check them out. Go use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. And another message from my friends over at betonline.ag because BetOnline has you covered for all of the odds, props, and lines this season for football, basketball, 
everything that you need, every single sport. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of these sports action this season. Head over to their new updated website. Sign up today using promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that is a 50% welcome bonus when you use promo code Locked On from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. We thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available on every single platform you can imagine. Now make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available everywhere you can get your podcasts. Joining us now is Tony East, host of Locked on Pacers. Tony, 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 Tony. (laughs) A head coach in health and safety protocols and a reported rebuild on the horizon. How are you holding up? What a week it was in Indiana. I mean, the the hits just kept coming. TJ McConnell out for the season, and then it comes out the next day that they might be retooling slash rebuilding, and then two days later, Miles Turner kind of wants a different role or just wants some clarity on his role still kind of ambiguous on what the exact emphasis that he wants there. And now I read Carlisle's and health and safety protocols. Justin Holiday's out of health and safety protocols. This all happened in four days. Like it was a wild week in the state of Indiana. Do you, do you have whiplash yet? Are you okay? <laughs> uh, no, fortunately I, I survived it. I knew a little bit that some of this stuff was coming, which made it a little more uh, manageable for me, but my goodness, I mean, it, it was just hit after hit after hit that I had to talk about, but the team played very well despite everything going on off the court, which which also made it a little easier to to navigate. That they were like, yeah, we don't care, we're just gonna beat these good teams. Well, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that a little bit, but let's start first with the reported you know decision that the the, the Pacers are gonna go the the rebuilding route. I guess the main point is why now? Like why why suddenly now? Right? You bring in Rick Carlisle, who's a very clearly a win now type coach. So why the sudden pivot? to a, a rebuild direction? Yeah, there's kind of two answers to that. And one is a non-answer and one is a real answer. And I'll do the non-answer first because it will kind of dictate a lot of the rest of my answers today. And that is, I don't think rebuild is the right word for what they're going to do. I think retool is the right word for what they're going to do because of one, they have a lot of good players now and some that literally can't be traded this year, namely Malcolm Brogdon. And two, uh, you can't see me, but I'm literally gesturing at the history of the Pacers of all time that says they have never rebuilt and haven't picked inside the top 10 since 1989. They are not going to do a teardown rebuild. Like they, ju- they just don't. Like I don't care what the word in the articles are. They're just not going to do that. So I am under the assumption that they're going to retool. Why are they doing it now? Well, one, as stated in the piece by The Athletic, written by Shams and Bob Kravitz, their owner, Herb Simon, is now finally on board with it, right? Like he does not like to to go backwards and then go forwards. Like, you have to at some points in the NBA. The Pacers have done it before, but he doesn't like to do it. So he does it at the last possible second. And two, they're kind of expensive team, and they are they were 9-16. and 16, And they looked horrible. They lost four games in a row two weeks ago, and they weren't, like, tough opponents either way. They kept losing every close game. Karis LeVert looked horrible, which was, like, their big acquisition last year. So those factors together, just if you're the owner and you're paying all this money for a team your president believes in, and you don't see the product, you're probably ready to say, all right, Let's pivot direction. So the timing was they were playing bad and they knew Miles Turner was about to come out and say that he wanted a bigger role. And the why now is that they were really terrible to start the season. But I really think what's going to happen is they started poorly and they would like to retool around their best players like uh, Duarte and Brogdon and one of the centers. 
as the host of Locked on Rockets, can you just say for me one more time that Karis LeVert, their big acquisition, has looked terrible? Just say that one more time for me. Yeah, well, I know that the Rockets have disdain because they got smoked in the media for how that that all shook out for them. But LeVert uh, had back pain a ton and missed the first couple weeks of the season and was not 100% when he was playing. And he looked really rough. Like a lot of their problems were that he was really struggling. So Rockets fans can hang their hat on uh, him not being this. I mean, he'll still probably return. Uh, he won't return as much value as they spent out to get him, but he'll still return them something if they move him. But yeah, he had a, he played very well in their three game win streak. They just went on, but he was very rough for like the first month of the season. Okay, so then let's let's change the verbiage on this a little bit. So we'll move away from rebuilding and we'll utilize the new verbiage retooling. Is is this the right decision then in your eyes for this Pacers team to try and you know actively sit come out and say yeah we're we're retooling the roster? I think so. I mean. This is the same team they've had since the start of 2019, and they were the four seed in the first year of it, but they didn't win a playoff game. They got completely smoked by the Heat, and the Heat went to the finals. It wasn't, like, embarrassing, but they, they got swept. And then they didn't even make the playoffs last year. They were under 500. So to have zero playoff wins to your name and still be a bit expensive, especially if COVID dropped the finances, and then start this year 9-16 and 16 through the first third-ish of the season, I mean, that that's not worth it, right? Why? What are you doing? What are you trying to do? With a team like that. So, yeah, I definitely think it makes sense for them to retool. The question is how, like, especially the added factor is if they didn't draft Chris Duarte and they still just had a veteran team, you can't really retool. You don't have youth to lean on. But now that they nailed the draft pick and have one of the best, whatever number, five, six, seven rookies in the league, it makes a lot more sense to get a little younger and shake it up. So I think it is the right move, especially with how bad they started. But they still have good players. Like, there's a reason they just beat three good teams last week. So, it's a really unique situation, and towing that middle line is very hard. They kind of have to try because of the situation they're in. But, yeah, I think it is the right time to try something like this. You just mentioned Chris Duarte's name, and he's a guy that I want to spend a moment talking about before we wrap this thing up. But walk me through. Who are the untouchables, if there are any? I assume Duarte's probably one of those uh, those guys. And who are the, the players you see as likely going to be on the move while the Pacers look to retool? Yeah, Brogdon's untouchable by rule, not by like, well, maybe by team choice too. They just extended him, but because of when they extended him six months after they can't trade him, he literally cannot be traded this season. And then all the verbiage from reporting and from logic really uh, suggests that one of the centers will be moved. So whichever one they don't move will, will be untouchable then. Like if they trade Turner, Sabonis is probably, I mean, no player on an under 500 team is untouchable, but for the sake of what you're asking me, you know, whichever center they don't deal is basically untouchable. Duarte's definitely untouchable. And Isaiah Jackson, they really like uh, the rookie they picked 22nd this year. So those are the, the four names that – I only said three names, whichever center is the fourth – that I think are the least likely to get dealt. And then TJ Warren's a weird one because there are reasons for them to trade him, but he's really good. He likes playing in Indiana, uh, and he fits really well with whatever they're doing. I kind of don't think he'll get dealt. Uh, but that's kind of it for guys that seem like no chance or low chance they get moved. Everyone else is either – in a weird role or it makes some sense or it's valid that they would move them given where they are. Which center between Sabonis and Turner should be the one on the way out? Yeah, it's a, that's the question. They've been trying to figure that out for years. You know, if you go by history, Miles Turner has been in trade rumors every season since forever. It feels like, I mean, they almost, they were on the, the goal line of trading him for Hay him and other stuff for Gordon Hayward a few seasons ago. And the Pacers, the way they operate is if a player's in trade rumors or really in deep talks, they'll tell them. Right. They don't want them to get blindsided if a trade actually happens. And Turner's been very candid. Like, yeah, they they told me they were close to dealing me. So they've been trying. They, they haven't been trying to move him, but they've taken calls on him for years and years and years. And he only has a year and a half left on his contract, whereas Sabonis has three. Just going on those facts, you would say Turner. 
Turner's played very well the last two seasons, fits on any team, including whatever the new version of the Pacers may be, whereas Sabonis needs the ball a lot to be more effective. So you could say, oh, maybe there's a fit thing where you'd rather deal Sabonis. But Sabonis is better by a, not a significant amount, but a pretty large amount. And two-time All-Star for a reason. Fits with the play, a lot of the players the Pacers have right now. Fits very well with Duarte. Their two-game, two-man chemistry is excellent. So I feel like Turner's more likely to get moved, but I understand why they might say, well, we can get more for Sabonis and then Turner fits very well on whatever our next iteration looks like. So maybe they do that. But I would say it's much more likely Turner is the one that gets moved. Let's spend a moment talking about Chris Duarte, who has had a phenomenal start to his rookie season. He's averaging 13 points a game, shooting about just under 35% from three in about 30 minutes a night. Uh, he was, you know, easily billed as kind of like the right, the ready-made rookie to come in and, you know, join a, a, a Rick Carlisle led team and be an immediate contributor. So what have you seen out of Chris Duarte and, and how impressed have you been with his season so far? Uh, incredibly. And you know, I, his stats are what they are, but he got hurt in a game they played in Sacramento and never, it took him a little bit to recover first 10 games. He was 16 points a game on 44, 42, 92 splits, right? Then he gets hurt. And in the last week or so, he's gotten back to being really efficient and part of their three game win streak. He was nine for 11 with 23 points in their win over the Knicks a few nights ago. And he, his scoring polish is ridiculous. Like he, he takes a lot of tough shots. But he makes all of them like it's a, uh, very early on with the rookie. You're like, why is he you know, he barely creating any space? Why is he shooting that? And now you're confident he's going to make them over half the time because he's just such a good shot maker. So fearless, like other coaches I ask and other players I ask about him are just so impressed with his poise and fearlessness every time he shoots the ball. And now he's learning the passing a little more. Malcolm Brogdon has been really egging him on in that way. He had a six assist game early this week. He had four assists last week against the champs uh, when they played in Milwaukee. So he's learning the game a lot better. He's an awesome defender. They stick him on Jimmy Butler, Kevin Durant, James Harden. Like they, they just, they're, they, he does everything for them. He's really impressive for a rookie already. He starts every game. Uh, I have no reason to see now that Justin Holiday's back why he won't keep starting because he's been very good. And now that he's, his shoulders back to 100%. So this is the best rookie the Pacers have had in a very, very long time. And it's very impressive to watch him play every day. Tony, you're going to have everybody covered for all things Pacers over at Locked On Pacers. I appreciate you jumping on Locked On NBA with me today. Of course, everybody. Of course, check out Locked On Pacers, where we will break down all this stuff and Duarte in very much more detail. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and the brand new Odyssey app, as well as checking out the brand new Locked On NBA YouTube page. Just search Locked On NBA on YouTube. Hit subscribe, like, comment, watch the show on YouTube, all that good stuff. Leave a review, leave some stars, share the show with your friends and family. Thank you for checking out the show. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. But for today's show, that is going to do it. As always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA. Local experts, biggest stories.